Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I am your host, Aman Kusro, and I am joined by my reawakened co-host, Zach Pachetta. How's it going, my brother? I am feeling very raised right now, raised from the dead. So as as it were, what once was dead may never die. Is that, is that, how, is that how that ice and fire thing goes? Something like that. That's right. The, wait, is it the dead never die? It, or is it, what is dead? I'm honestly more stuck on the feeling raised right now. Is that a double entendre or what? It could be. If, that, if, that's, if that's what our listeners want, this is recorded after hours. <laughs> this could be Path to Glory after dark. Yeah, well, I feel like <laughs> Path to Glory Loki always wants to be after dark, but we try to reel it in. A little bit, a little bit. Continuing on the Warband review train, we are going to forego our usual segments, including the Sleeve It or Leave It, as well as the Inspiration Strikes. But don't worry, they will return, just giving it a bit of a break at the moment. But before we begin, I just want to give a quick and wonderful shout out to our amazing patrons. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you're not a patron and you're interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, please check us out at patreon.com slash path to glory. And if you're just a listener, that's totally cool. We really appreciate that. And we love that you jump in on the discord and have conversations because at the end of the day, that's all we'd love to do. That's why we have a podcast. We like talking about Warhammer Underworlds. Yeah. I mean, it's a great time for Underworlds. We're getting a lot of releases back to back. I feel like there was a lull near the beginning of the year, but now it was like, we got the last half of Gnarl Spirit, then suddenly Weird Hollow, then suddenly now the first Weird Hollow team and a new starter set. There's a lot to talk about with the release of the new starter set, but the fact that we're getting two teams revamped from old times that we're going to talk about in this episode, next episode, uh, it's going to be really good. I think it's a really good time to not only start playing Underworlds, but continue playing Underworlds. I think it's a, a fun time for the metagame. Completely agree. And since you've wonderfully brought the topic up, Zach, how do you feel about revamped, reawakened, re-raised warbands? I think it's a great idea for two reasons. First, I think it's great to see these teams get some love. I mean, obviously a lot of people got into the game because of certain teams and really just continue playing the teams. I know people who still, I mean, you know me, I still love my scritch. I know there's a lot of people who still try to make season one and season two teams work. So just enjoying these old teams and having them now be updated and playable and exciting again, it's really good for the game. But also I think it's nice because like we're getting to the point where we don't necessarily need that many new teams. I think if the new, this new starter box had been two new teams, like we're already over 50 teams in this game. You realize that? We have, we've crested 50 with Gnarlwood, or with, no, with the start of Weird Hollow. And that's a lot. 50 teams is a lot. I like that instead of throwing in a bunch of new stuff, we're revamping some old stuff, bringing it up to playable standards while still releasing new things. But, you know, it is nice to have not necessarily just more new things on the pot, but old stuff that is being remade and, you know, kind of, fleshing out the metagame a little bit. I think it's really nice. Absolutely. I also think this makes excellent sense from a business perspective. It costs tens of thousands of dollars to create molds. And so for you to be able to recycle and reuse those molds from a business perspective, 
makes so much more sense. And on top of that, people are finally getting what they want. People have clamored and asked and honestly begged for these older warbands to receive some sort of love and support. And instead of just filling in the gaps and giving them a card or two extra, Games Workshop went the extra mile and actually redesigned them from the ground up, which is actually amazing if you really think about it. And honestly, I, I think they did a great job for both of the warbands. I know that some people may not agree with that, but I think you can't please everybody. And I'm particularly excited to talk about this warband because I think they look really good, Zach. Yeah, I think they look great. The Sepulchre Guard were a favorite of mine. I'm going to gush for a bit because the very first large Underworlds tournament I played at, like I played a couple locals, but the first big one I went to was actually LVO the year it released. So that was what it came out in 2016. It was LVO 2017, I think was the very first year that they had it there. Yeah, because they got released in the fall of 2016. That's right, because that's the year I got married. So that's an important year to remember. But I brought Sepulchral Guard to Vegas and I did pretty good. I mean, I was like, I think it was like eighth or something like that. You know, it was not, didn't podium, but did okay. And I, then I kept bringing them to a lot of locals. And, you know, they've always had a special place in my heart just because they were my first like big tournament team, big, good tournament placing. And every so often I'll try to make them work. You know, they've had ups and downs. During Beast Grave, they had a little bit of good times when Temporary Victory was about. Uh, they had a little bit of good times when uh, the Delve meta was about. But it, I always felt like, oh, there's just like some weird gimmick that they're playing into. And it's so cool to see them finally be like, hey, this is actually a good team. It's not just some old team that occasionally slots into a play style. And I, I'm really excited to see that come back. Dude, absolutely. I also had no idea you played in LVO, the first ever Warhammer Underworlds Grand Clash. Yeah, I, I had tickets to go to the AOS event. I was go, I was flying out with a friend who was playing 40k at the time, and I was like, "Oh, there's an Underworlds event on the Friday beforehand." Well, I'm not doing anything. We're going to be there. I might as well play because the game had just come out, and I was really excited about it. And it was a really good time. Like, I got to chit chat with some of the GW guys. Everyone I played with was really good. I mean, from the start, man, LV Underworlds tournaments have just been like amazing experiences well i'm glad you enjoyed it fun fact about the sepulchral guard they won the first ever underworld's grand clash in the uk is that so yep first ever warband i believe now i don't know if it was jay claire but it was i believe a games workshop employee who won the first ever grand clash these things happen these things do happen with sepulchral guard i mean that's really cool and you know i think I don't know if we're going to start seeing them take home every glass in the game, but I think they'll be contenders. And I think as we chit-chat about them, our listeners will begin to agree with them. Well, let's not keep them waiting then, Zach, and let's jump into the Warband as a whole. If you're new to Path to Glory, the way that we like to do things here is we're going to go over the fighter cards, then the objectives, gambits, and then the upgrades. Zach and I will take turns reading the cards per section, and then the person who is not reading the card will have their first opportunity to respond with their thoughts. But don't worry, we both get in our thoughts. And we try to do it in a concise manner, but sometimes at Path to Glory, historically, we jump down a ton of rabbit holes. And Zach and I, we're just some hungry little rabbits. We, we just love to talk about Underworlds, man. That's all it is. It really is. So let's start with the big bad himself, the Sepulchral Warden. Now, I will say it's something really refreshing to see 
about this old warband in terms of just the aesthetics with new art, update style of cards and layout and everything. I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's keeping a lot of the same vibes, especially the card art really captures the Shade Spire feel, in my opinion. But yeah, you got the new layouts, you got the new text. It feels very modernized, but it's still the same stuff we, we know and love. For sure. So the Sepulchre Warden is a leader, a movement of two, one block, four wounds, and he has a Bone Shiver Spear, a range two, two smash, two damage attack, and has two actions. The first action is choose up to two other friendly fighters. The chosen fighters each make one move action. And the other action is choose one friendly fighter that is out of action. Place the chosen fighter on an empty hex in your territory, then give that fighter one race counter. Now, the inspiration, two or more friendly fighters have race counters, or you give an inspired friendly fighter a race counter. When the warden inspires... He goes to a whopping movement of three. His Bone Shiver Spear jumps to three damage, and everything else remains the same. Zach, give me your thoughts on the Warden. So I guess before we get too deep into this Warband analysis, for our listeners, should we talk about the team as they've changed, or do you want to talk about them as if they're a new team? I think it makes more sense to talk about how they've been updated while referencing them as a new team for this meta. Because effectively, they are a new warband, in a sense. But technically, to be honest, I want to talk about how they've changed. So let's yeah, do I, that. Yeah, let's do that. That's absolutely fair. I just wanted everyone to be kind of on the same page, because I also want to gush. First thing to note here that I really like is the defense is a block. In the past, these were all dodges, and that was very sad. Uh, block, I mean, it's only but 13% increased chance to save on a dice, but it is quite nice. It will happen more often than you think. One block is still not invincible, but it's better than a dodge. We all know that. The Warden is better and worse in some ways. The Inspired Attack is slightly nerfed because it was really, really good before. The action, the move action, is better now. It used to be you couldn't move fighters that have already moved. Now, possibly to keep in line with rule that you can move when you have a move token but not a charge token that's in the base rules now you can just move models that have already moved and i think that's going to give you a lot of positional advantage in the early game and the mid game maybe not in the late game once things have kind of already in position and maybe the warden is even dead but you know just the capability to get multiple moves and multiple moves without a lot of restrictions with it because a lot of multi moves in the game have restrictions like kings reapers you know they all have to be they have to like kind of end up near each other. Zarbeg's gets have to like start near each other. Varclav, it's like a push, but you can only do it once per turn. This is like very flexible in how it can be used. And it's gotten even better now that you can multi-move a single model with it. So overall, I think he's a he's exactly what he was before, you know, to kind of go down that uh, comparison. He's what he was before, which is a utility piece, a pretty darn good fighter and kind of the cornerstone of your warband. But he's gotten more durable. His utility has improved and his combat has gotten nerfed a little bit, but it's still a good attack. It's a range two, three damage attack. It's just slightly less accurate. Well summarized. I completely agree. I think I love the fact that he is on a shield. He's been holding a shield this entire time. So I always was curious to why he dodged instead of blocked. And as you'll see, every single fighter who was holding a shield is now indeed a blocking fighter, which is quite exciting. Completely agree with the action as well. 
Now he can move fighters with move or charge tokens, which is incredible. The amount of action economy or action compression, depending on which term you favor, is quite exciting because he can actually just move everybody all over the board. It's going to make it awesome for some of the hold objective strategies that the guard are famous for. And with some of their new improved cards that we have yet to talk about, you're going to see how deadly this surge of movement can be and kind of makes up for the fact that a lot of the fighters are only two move initially. Yeah, absolutely. I I was just going to say that, you know, that two move can be really daunting early on, but it is effectively four move with your leader. And I think that's, I think that's great. Absolutely, dude. And yeah, I do kind of agree that his so his Bone Shiver Spear, when inspired, used to be three smash, but it's a fair trade-off, right? I would rather get the block and the action economy and give up some of that hyper accuracy. And it always did feel weird to me that he hit so accurately when he was inspired, so I can see why they toned it down. Yeah, it doesn't like kill it for me. And honestly, if that's what's going to lose you games, probably need a new game plan, but I think he's still absolutely fine. Absolutely. Well, let's jump onto the Prince of Dust. Centuries ago, the Prince of Dust commanded vast legions and decided the fate of kingdoms on a whim. Now, he's but another tortured servant of the great necromancer. He's got a movement of two, one block, three wounds, and his royal mace is a range one, two damage, two smash attack with knockback one. The Prince of Dust inspires when this fighter has one or more race counters. He then moves to a movement of three, and his royal mace gains stagger in addition to the knockback one, and hits for three smash. What do you think about our royal undead friend? He's so much better now. I'm glad that he's at two damage. He's getting stagger on the inspired side. That's kind of whatever. Stagger is like occasionally really powerful, occasionally kind of pointless. But two damage base, before he was one damage base, and he just kind of felt like a three wound petitioner. Because, like, you never really relied on him for damage. He had a couple fighter-specific upgrades that weren't really good. So most of the time, you're just like, he's a petitioner with an extra wound. But now he's a block. Now he's got a two-damage attack that gets very accurate when he inspires. I think he's really good now. I mean, two damage is still not, like, swinging for the fences. But at least he's threatening mooks. At least he is helping set up two-turn kills on four-wound fighter. Yeah. Yeah, he's way better. Completely agree, man. I think... Before these set of changes, you tend to rely on the champion and the harvester for a lot of your offensive potential or your counterattack. Now the Prince of Dust is respectable, not only in title, but on the board as well. Two damage is awesome. That one damage, I never understood that, so completely agree with you there. And honestly, yeah, you're right. Knockback one, stagger, not like game-breaking mechanics, but it makes sense. He has a mace, and that's what maces do, is they hit you really hard. Sometimes you get knocked back. Sometimes you also get not feeling too good when you get hit by a royal mace, you know? So that's why the stagger happens. So I like it. Hmm. Let's move on to the champion. So fun fact, the champion is wholly unchanged. But for reference, I will go ahead and read his card. He's got a movement of two, one dodge, three wounds. His white blade is a range one, two smash, two damage attack with cleave. Though the champion retains fractured memories of countless battles, he cannot recall whether he fought for duty, honor, or coin. Now, the champion does remember that he can inspire, and he inspires when he has one or more raised counters. And as per usual, for his current card and his old card, he goes to three move and three smash on that white blade. Zach, 
I guess instead of evaluating the champion, do you think it makes sense that they kept him the same? He was the best fighter in the warband. He was generally what you built your entire team around unless you wanted to go for the scything shenanigans on the Harvester. Didn't need an update. He was the best thing on the team. So yeah, it, he's still good. I mean, being on a dodge is not great. Uh, he does have a shield on his back. Maybe he should have been a block, but whatever. I think he's still fine. Yeah, I think the dodge makes more sense when you're trying to parry or whatever. Actually, I, I disagree that, with that because yeah. when, well, when Shond inspires, he learns. When Shond inspires from the Godsworn Hunt, he was a blocking fighter, but he dodged when he was uninspired. So I don't know. I think it makes sense. You're right. He's the best fighter. He should have a weakness. And that cleave is so nice. So yeah. nice. Yeah. Few things start with a two damage cleave in the game. It's, it's really nice, especially with Exile Dead still being really good in the meta. Like, He's just chopping up zombies, man. What he's doing. Yeah, little undead on undead violence here. Well, let's jump to someone who can dish out a ton of violence, especially with some of the updates he got here. None know when the Harvester first took up his scythe or whether he once wielded it in life. What is certain is that he used it to reap a terrible toll in death. The Harvester gained the brawler keyword, but was otherwise unchanged. Two move, one dodge. Three wounds with his whirling scythe, getting a range one, two fury, two damage, scything attack. When the harvester inspires, he goes to three move and his scythe is three fury. So the only change is he got the brawler keyword. Zach, what do we think here? Brawler is nice for championship. There's a couple good upgrades for it. Matters a little less nemesis. I believe there's not much for it there. But either way, again, much like what I said about the champion. The Harvester was the other one you built around. These were your two guys. These are the two things that made the Warband work. They didn't need to be buffed, and they're absolutely fine. I think they. I think the Harvester is still going to... It's The Harvester's always been funny because it's like your opponent doesn't want to kill it because it comes back so good and so accurate, but if you leave it alone, you can just throw upgrades on it and it'll just stand in the middle and do scything things. So it's always been a good piece, and I think... Once we see some of the power cards associated with the Harvester, uh, or just associated with the Warband in general, it'll be even better than it was before. Great summary. I don't really have much to add to that, honestly. He's a monster on the battlefield, and I really do like the whole damned if you do, damned if you don't mechanic with a lot of the fighters in the Warband, but I think the Harvester particularly exacerbates that because he is someone that can just dish out a ton of consistent damage one way or the other. Moving on to the final piece of the warband here the infamous petitioners but wait there's more zach because they not only put all the petitioners on one block but they also finally named the petitioners zach they have names not not names like the zombies in exile dead but like names you know kind of sort of i mean everyone called them like you know crawling petitioner and like swinging petitioner but but now they've got official names, and I think that's cool. Absolutely. For holistic reasons, let's do it. We'll go over their names. We have the Inevitable Petitioner, which is the one who kind of has his sword up raised across his body. We have the Zealous Petitioner, which is the one that always looks like he's yelling. And then we have the Rising Petitioner, which, surprise, surprise, is rising out of the ground. Do you have a favorite sculpt out of these three? I think my favorite one has always been the Zealous Petitioner. Oh, really? I... I love Rising Petitioner. I love Undead Crawling Out of the Ground is just like Ace's aesthetic to me. Yeah, that's fair, especially given how old these miniatures are. 
It's weird to call them old, like, because in my mind, Underworlds is still like kind of the new game on the block. But like, yeah, man, it's been it's been seven years, huh? Goodness. Just about, man. Just about. Well, what's really interesting is they lost the minion keyword, which is something that we should probably cover. Instead, they all gained the petitioner keyword. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's interesting. Minion minion often felt more like a positive than a negative. I mean, there were a lot of upgrades that were like good, but only usable by petition, uh, by minions. Like there was that one illusion where it was like minus one dice when attacking this target, plus one defense dice while in a cover hex. Can't remember the name of it. I'm pretty sure that one was minion only or, or like, or like you only got part of the bonus if you were a minion. Anyway, there are good stuff for minions and it was like, oh, it's powerful, but you can't use it on regular fighters. You can only use it on minions. And it would have been nice to still have those. On the other hand, there are only a handful of them, and I think they're fine without the keyword. It's just, it is losing a little bit of fluff that was there in the meantime, but it doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it, given how much Petitioner Synergy is in the Rivals deck. It's going to be great for allowing people to kind of really enjoy the flavor of the Warband, and then as they graduate to Nemesis, they have that option to really play with that Petitioner package, which we'll go over in a moment. Same with Championship, which is pretty exciting. So let's go... Actually, so before we jump to picking our favorite fighter and talking about the objectives, I did want to get your opinion on just the changes as a whole, like subtle tweaks here and there, nothing too crazy. Do you like what they did? Do you think they should have changed them more? What are your thoughts, Zach? I like what they did. It's like a, overall, it's a slight boost in defense because there's a lot of block now. I think people who have played against I'm going to keep making the comparison because they're both seven model rising warbands. So the comparison to Exile Dead. Everyone knows that the one block on Exile Dead is occasionally way more durable than you think it should be. And so having your little guys on a block, having the prince on a block, having the warden on a block, it's going to subtly but notably increase the durability of the team, which I think is great because the big downside of Sepulchre Guard in the past was getting farmed for glory. And if you're getting farmed slightly less, your glory is going to be, your glory differential is going to be slightly better. And I think that's, it, it, it's a subtle but good change. Uh, and then the utility on the Warden's move, the damage boost on the Prince. It's like a lot of small changes, but they're small changes in places where we knew they were bad before, or like we knew they were like not quite up to spec before. And it really just feels like, it feels like the same Warband, but modernized and I think they've done enough. I think the core of the warband was always quite good, but now they've modernized it. Like I said, they've given it new cards, which we'll talk about in a bit. And it's just going to make the warband feel smoother to play and more interesting to play. Very well summarized, Zach, and I completely agree. The warband feels fresh. It feels new yet familiar, which I think is the best way to describe it. It's a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm very excited to see what the warband can do. Now, Zach, if you had to pick a favorite fighter that was not the Harvester or the Champion, since, of course, they have not been updated, which fighter would you pick? I'm, I mean, I'm just going to go with the Warden. I've always loved multi-move. I've always loved res mechanics. It's what made me fall in love with this team to begin with. And for, well, the, the move got better. The raise stayed the same. It's the mechanics that I love in a, in a new updated shiny package. And he's, he's my man. <laughs> the Warden's the... The Warden is awesome, man. But... You know, I've always had a soft spot for the Prince of Dust, and I always wish that he just did a little bit more, and I'm so glad that he does now. So that's going to be my pick. 
Yeah, he he's so good as well. I'm so excited to see this warband again. Definitely going to be playing them. All right, well, Zach, you got the objectives. I do. And starting from the top, we're going to start with the serve. Starting from the top, we have a challenge unanswered. Score this in an end phase if there are more enemy fighters out of action than there are friendly fighters out of action for two glory. Yeah, so this is actually a ducks of their older card. It was called the More Able Bot, and it had, like, I think Reaver is dead on it, and it was like, score this in the end phase. It's pretty much the same card, but it was uh, if they took two or more enemy fighters out of action. So what this has done is this pretty much just changed it to where it's more enemy fighters out of action than they are friendly fighters. I definitely think this warband can score it. The Harvester, the Warden, the Champion, and the Prince of Dust have now enough offensive output to be able to tango with most warbands. I think these cards are kind of hard because you also have your petitioners who are a lot of 2 wound fighters, and we have cards later on that are going to disincentivize your opponent from attacking them but yeah it's really interesting actually because it's not really that bad of a card because you can actually res your fighters as well so you can kind of guarantee that over the course of the game maybe they have more than you so i think it's fine i think it's very usable but i don't know if it's like a banger yeah it's a combat card in a warband that i think we'll see is very much more focused on objectives i mean they always kind of have been high model count, multi-move, etc. I mean, I guess the idea is that the res is supposed to equal it out and make it easier to score, but it seems fine. I think the fact that it's too glory makes me want to consider it. Uh, you can lean into a very aggro-focused build on these guys, but I think it'll often be left on the cutting room floor. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, all right, so the next card is Battle Without End. Surge, score this immediately after an activation or power step in which you gave a second or subsequent fighter a race counter in the same phase, one glory. Yeah, so this actually used to be an end phase card as well, but they made it a surge, which I totally love. I think it's a pretty solid card. It rewards you for doing what you want to do with this warband, helps you score glory while inspiring your warband, playing your game plan, which I really like. It is probably a bit harder to do in round one unless you're facing some pretty aggressive and accurate fast aggro but overall as long as the warden stays alive you're pretty good to go and then on top of that you have a gambit that can kind of help you guarantee this later on as well so i dig it zach i'm very happy that a the warband finally has surges because i think they only had two in their previous iteration and now they have at least six yeah it's funny, I was trying to compare uh, to the old deck on Underworld's DB, uh, and those you can't pull up those cards anymore, uh, so I'll have, to, I'll have to pull out my actual deck box to do the comparison. Uh, you're right, this was an end phase. It can be hard to score. My experience was always that this could be a little bit hard to score, just because if you don't have the res card, the, the res ploy, you're spending half your turn, two activations out of four, just resurrecting models. And sometimes that's great, because you can have pushes to get on objectives, you can res and then make actions with specific abilities and stuff like that. Or sometimes you just res res and you score this and other good stuff happens. But like, it's a lot of action economy thrown into just putting things on the board that are possibly going to die again. But I think it's good. It's, it's pseudo martyred. It's like a slightly worse martyred because you have to make actions afterwards. But then it also doesn't care about like death order and stuff like that. And like they could die last turn and come back. So it's like, 
it's like, like I said, pseudo martyred and martyred is a good card. So like a slightly different version of it is of course going to be just fine. I agree though about surges in terms of like having a surge. Yeah. I think it's good to have better surges than they had before. Cause the only one worth running before, well, one that we'll see again and we'll talk about in a little bit, but I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I just don't think it's amazing. Yeah. Good point on the, the net glory, I suppose. Opponent gains a bounty for killing your fighter. You bring them back. You get that glory back. You've stabilized. So I like that. And I like the card, honestly. I like when you can score surges from gambits. Yeah, there's really good synergy with the gambit card. And I I think often you're just going to drawing these two on a turn is going to feel so good because it's like surge, you know, it's going to be like bring a guy back, which is great, you know, and then surge, which is great. And then also inspire your leader, which is great. And that's like, it's just going to be this one, two, three punch and your opponent's going to be like, whoa, that's a big swing. So yeah, it's nice. Uh, Then we'll move on to eternal legions. Uh, This is an end phase card. Score this in an end phase if three or more friendly fighters are each in no ones and or enemy territory for two glory. Yeah, very interesting card. Not one that you would think to see in a warband like this, but I make sense. You know, you're teaching newer players how to position while still making it interesting for veteran players. I think this could be a very decent card, if not a surprising card for your opponent to play against. If you're playing something that involves like a Daring Delvers or a Tooth and Claw or any one of those rivals decks that wants you to be in no one or enemy territory, I think also because a lot of players will try to stop you from placing all three objectives on your side of the board, there may be instances where you might have to get into the no one's territory or your opponent's territory and fight it out. And so this is certainly doable there. It doesn't synergize with their general game plan, which is to probably outscore their opponent on objectives, but I'm not, I'm not mad at this. I think it's a cool addition and I think if you want to use it, you have to build for it. I do agree with that last bit, that it's a very different game plan than what's effectively the supremacy game plan, right? Like the general game plan for teams like this is have three objectives or have two and then like one easy one in the mid board and just play towards holding three. And then sometimes just moving across the board is counterintuitive to that. But the reason I like this card a lot is that I was a big fan of lengthening shadows, which I guess is still legal, but you don't really see much anymore for various reasons. But lengthening shadows is to have more fighters in enemy territory than there are enemies in enemy territory. Um, And this is just like an easier version of it. Like you don't care about outnumbering. Three is very doable especially as we'll see some power cards give you enhanced mobility as well. So just like positioning three fighters, and then it's like they don't have to be on anything. They don't have to be adjacent to anybody. They don't have to be adjacent to each other. They just got to be on or over the line. And two glory end phase for that, just it feels pretty reliable. It almost feels reliable enough to the point where it's like, oh, maybe I won't go supremacy build. Maybe I'll just go like some hold objective and then like invasive aggro. And it might actually work. Yeah, it's interesting. I I like how it's making us think about how to play the warband, maybe in a more modern sense, given the fact that there's a lot of emphasis on fighting for the midboard. I'm very curious to see how this card plays out overall, but still, I'm excited for it. I think it's it's very interesting, and I think I've played against very aggressive Sepulchral Guard in the past. And even back in the day, before these newer buffs, they were able to do a ton of damage, and so... I certainly think that this is possible. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we'll move on to Grave Reprisal. This is a Surge Duel. Score this immediately after an activation step if a friendly fighter's attack action took an enemy fighter out of action and that friendly fighter had one or more raise counters. So, so from a Surge perspective, I don't mind it. I generally like kill surges, but I think this one might be a little too complicated for you to do just because are you going to have it in your hand when you get a kill? If you get a kill, is it going to, are you going to like not go for the optimal play because that fighter that maybe can make the kill is not inspired? That means they don't have a race counter. There's just so many things to look at. Are you maybe going to use an inspired fighter who's in a great position to just make a charge or attack someone? when you probably shouldn't. And I don't like when it kind of forces you to do those things. I think it works. It works with the Warband. It works with their synergy, their energy, their game plan. But I, I think as far as kill surges go, this one seems a little... I feel like this one, you need to just be in the right, like, good moment. If it's the right timing, great. If not, it might be hard to score consistently. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I'm kind of higher on it because for the main reason that the models that you want to kill with are generally the ones that your opponent wants to kill. Champion, Harvester, uh, Prince now, not previously, but now Prince. And if they wants to kill it and then it comes back and then it kills, like this is kind of an auto score. It, it, it really should read a model that is not the petitioner or warden kill something because that's really what's going to happen 99% of the time. I think you're right. I think it's less reliable and sometimes it's going to make you do suboptimal actions to score it. And I just don't like kill cards in general. I'm more of a positional type player. So I, I don't think it's bad. I think you're going to get a lot of mile, mileage out of it in Rivals. I think you'll get fair mileage out of it in Nemesis, depending on your deck, because certain Rivals decks have less or more surges available to them. So I think depending on your deck, it'll see play or not. But I think as you graduate to championship and you start that deck building process, it's just not as reliable as other, like you said, kill surges or just plain combat surges that you could put in its place. So yeah, it's okay. It's fine. We'll go on to Invigorated Dead. This is a end phase. Score this in an end phase if the number of surviving inspired friendly fighters is equal to or greater than the round number, e.g. two or more inspired friendly fighters in round two. One glory. Yeah, this one... So I think I think it's better than the previous version of it, for sure. I just don't know if this is something that's that doable. And honestly, like it's not necessarily something that want happen to you. Like you don't want three of your fighters to be dead, and then you have three raise counters. That means that maybe you're having some un- some inefficient turns. Maybe your opponent's just mowing your fighters too much. It's interesting you say that because in my mind, I equate this quite a bit with Battle Without End, which is the surge where you make two reses in a single turn. And this is kind of sort of the end phase version of that card. And you're much higher on the surge than you were on this one. That's true. And you're not wrong, but it's a surge. It's a, that's That's absolutely fair. And it's interesting that this is kind of it's a little bit of an inverse of what we usually talk about with end phases, because usually with end phases, we say like, oh, it's so much easier as the game goes on. It's impossible in round one. This is so easy in round one. They're going to kill one of your petitioners and you could take one action and bring it back. And then it's a one glory and then it's effectively end phase martyred. It gets really hard as the game goes on. Either things are dead and staying dead and you're not bringing them back or they're just killing the same one over and over or you're just not taking the actions to bring things back in general. I don't like it. 
just for that reason. And like you said, it's not a cert. But yeah, it's it's not that great, in my opinion. Yeah, I like what you said. It's an end phase martyr that gets harder as the game goes on. And for one glory, I just don't think that's worth it. Yeah, if it was too... You know what? If this was like equal to the amount of race counters that are on the field, at like to a maximum of three or something like that, and it was like, ooh, you've you've killed three, and it's like a super... It was like a super equalizing objective. That would be pretty cool, but alack, alas, that is not what we got. Oh, you're saying like, if it's for for the for add the number of glory to the the round number or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that could work. Like, if this is oh, or you could just add like a little blurb at the bottom. If this is the second or third round, add an extra glory or something. That would just make it a little bit more interesting, maybe. Yeah, but it as it stands, one glory is kind of yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Or rather not fine. Speaking of interesting objectives, um, we've got Land of the Dead. I think this one's very interesting. Surge, duel, score this immediately after an opponent's activation step. If your warband holds two or more objectives and the total value of those objectives is six or greater, e.g. objectives two and four, one glory. So effectively stockpile, but a surge, mm-hmm. which is pretty damn good because stockpile is one of the best cards in it's Fearsome Fortress, and Stockpile's also too glory, but it's not a Surge, so a bit of a trade-off there. Yeah, I mean, for sure, but still very happy because it's something that's very doable. The Sepulchral Guard, as you said earlier, have that supremacy game plan vibe. This is asking them to just hold two. They're going to be able to generally be on more than two, and hopefully those objectives total two, six, or greater. I think in most cases it should. It's also kind of like a pseudo-hidden purpose. If you remember that card from back in the day, a very strong card. And I really like that they've added the after an opponent's activation step. So it allows them to kind of try to respond. But more oftentimes than not, they're not really going to be able to respond, if that makes sense. Yeah, since I've been playing a decent amount of Pandemonium, uh, it reminds me a bit of Close the Circle, which Mm. is hold three after an opponent's power step. It's like your opponent gets a chance to respond. But if you play the gameplay game plan well enough, that response shouldn't be damning, right? You should be able to score this pretty reliably. I love this card. I think this is, well, we'll do our rankings later, but this is definitely up there for me. It's a solid one for sure. Yeah. Uh, Then we've got Lay Claim to it all. Score this in an end phase if your warband holds more objectives than each other warband one glory. So effectively a one glory dominant position, which I really don't mind. I think this is probably one of those end phase cards where I would probably take, given the fact that it's naturally probably going to occur. And I know I said probably three times in that last sentence, but that's because of the variability, right? Things should turn out a certain way. There are obviously things that can stop you from doing that, especially a canny opponent. But again, I'm not mad at it. And if I'm really looking for that last end phase, this could be my last one. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty reliable. I'm thinking now about the various dominant positions that are available. And for the most part, the two glory ones, you know, that we kind of considered dominant position because that was the neutral version, the universal version. The ones that have two glory are usually teams that don't really like holding objectives or like it's not innately in their game plan because they're like a three or four fighter warband. This is a seven model object warband that wants to hold objectives. So yeah, they're going to generally be scoring this more and i think if it was too glory it would be absolutely busted and like restriction worthy i legitimately think that yeah i think it's a fine one glory end phase it's going to be more reliable than not most of the time 
especially in our current metagame where there's not a whole lot of other people holding objectives. Yeah. Next, we get one that is uh, completely unchanged from the old edition. March of the Dead. Score this in an end phase if five or more friendly fighters each have one or more move and or charge tokens to glory. So I think it got a buff because it's only one or more move char- move or charge tokens rather than each fighter in your warband. No, it's the same. It, it's, it's always been five or more models and then each one has to have a move or charge token. Really? I'm pretty sure yeah. I saw. Or I Actually, I think the old wording didn't talk about tokens. It was five or more models in your warband that are surviving made a move action in the previous action phase or something of that nature. Oh, okay. Well, whatever it is. It got improved upon a little bit. Yes, it, it did. Yes. Yes, you're you're right in that they don't have to actually have made the actions. If you have ways to hand out those tokens, which we'll talk about as the game goes on, yes, it is improved in that way. Yeah. And so for Two Glory, this is actually, I've thought about this one a little bit, and I, I do think it's worth it now, if only because, so look, Sepulchral Guard games generally live and die by the leader or the warden living or dying, right? And so... If you're a seasoned or experienced Sepulchral Guard player, then you know that you need to keep the Warden alive and you need to utilize that multi-move, that action economy compression as much as you can. With with his ability to move two fighters, with your natural game plan of looking to move fighters onto objectives or counter-charging or charging, and then of course with the upgrade Ancient Commander, which we'll talk about in a bit, but veterans will remember that you can move three fighters with Ancient Commander. I think this is actually a pretty solid card. It's decently reliable, and it doesn't require engagement with your opponent, which I think is particularly nice. You can score this in round one. Yeah, I actually had to pull out my deck because, like I said, I couldn't pull out the cards digitally. Uh, It's actually got a major buff. I was misremembering this card. The original one said, score this in the end phase of all your surviving fighters at least five made a move action the preceding action phase so actually it's much better because now if you have seven on the board and two of them just sat on objectives which was usually a downside of this card is that you want to score it but you have dudes sitting on objectives and you're like i don't i don't want to leave the objective that's crazy why would i do that just to score this card so yeah it's it's much buffed and i agree with what you were saying that just like keeping your leader alive you don't have to engage with your opponent you don't have to roll dice at all and it's a two glory end phase for that Aces, very nice card. Yeah, I remember it had gotten, it was worse. I So I knew it had gotten buffed, but yeah, I didn't, couldn't find my binder with my Shade Spark stuff, which is a problem <laughs> for another day, but. Yeah, no, you you remembered it better than me. Uh, but now we'll move on to an actually completely new card. This is called, or I think so, maybe. Uh, this is called Retake What Is Ours. Dual, score this in an end phase if your warband holds three or more objectives. And one or more of those objectives is in an enemy or no one's territory for three glory. So I get why they just didn't reprint Supremacy because the Essentials pack has Supremacy in it. So that makes sense. And I think from a rival's perspective, they probably want to force some sort of engagement. More bands and cards are doing that now in recent seasons. So a slightly worse Supremacy, but one that I think is still fairly doable because that objective could be in no one's territory. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said about forcing interaction. And I think more likely than not, these guys are going to be played with Daring Delvers or Fearsome Fortress, if you're talking Nemesis, or even just like Championship with a plot card. Which plot card are you taking? And both of those want to do the no one or enemy territory thing. 
So that's cool. You're just going to be doing that sort of stuff anyway. I suppose there is the chance that you play these guys with what's a seismic shock. I think that's pretty unlikely though. But yeah, I think this is good. I mean, supremacy is good. This is a team that wants to play supremacy. So yeah, it's a very, very solid card. We're going to jump then to our next card, which is Skills Unforgotten. This one hasn't changed at all. A surge scores immediately after your leader's attack action takes an enemy fighter out of action. One glory. Yep, this is an OG. This is the surge that if you were going to take a faction surge, this was the one. This is the one you were going to take. Nothing to say here. I think it's fairly reliable. People are going to try to dive bomb your warden. You might as well punish them for it by having your warden kill them and hopefully gaining this surge as well. Again, it is a kill surge, so understand timing and things can be inefficient, but Again, I find it to be fairly reliable because in the late game, you want your warden to be an aggressive piece, and he's always going to have your opponent's attention, so I think it's fine. It's a double-edged sword, though, in the fact that if you are too aggressive with your leader or are seeking to score this card too much, then it could put you in a bad spot here. And I think you're probably, after the updates to this deck as a whole and this warband, probably going to be wanting to use your leader's activations to multi-move rather than attack. But at the end of the day, the attacking is solid. I do want to point out that the card art here is sick. The Warden, I guess, lost his cape and traded his spear for a sword. But it looks like he's having a pretty fun time fighting not only against Bright Shield from Steelheart's Champions, but also it looks like a fighter from the Far Striders Warband. So the Warden here really touting his guns and his ability by taking on two fighters from two different warbands. Maybe this is a multi-game, Zach. Yeah, it, it's really great art. I, man, we gushed about it in the last episode, but the art is so good. And like I said at the start with the the character art, I think they really recapture some of that good old Shade Spire art feeling. You know, we we've talked about how the aesthetics have changed a little bit over the years, and they've tried different things. But man, if if the card art in this doesn't just bring back those 2016 feel, but yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I've got no notes about your analysis of the card. I think it's Absolutely solid, but it does have downsides. Speaking of surges, we have another one. This is called They Keep Coming. Surge duel. Score this immediately after you give a friendly fighter a raise counter. And one or more other friendly fighters each have one or more raise counters, one glory. So effect I really had to reread this card the first time I saw it, because I was like, there's no way this card is so easy. So you're telling me, so you're telling me, Games Workshop, that all I have to do play my game plan. Play the game, the warband, as it functions, as you've designed it to be played, and not do anything else, and you give me a glory, sign me up. Yeah, it's it's wild that you can score both of this and Battle Without End in the very same action. Like, that is, to me, it's wild to just be like, do a thing that has no dice rolls, no enemy interaction, no even positional question, really, like, because you could just do it. The only way you can't res a fighter is if every single starting hex in your war in your deployment zone is gone. So you're always being able to res. And you could just score two surges off that in a single action. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's so good. Excellent. Uh, and then our 12th and final objective is Undying Watchman. Surge duel. Score this, is, bleh, score this immediately after an opponent's activation step. If your warband holds two or more objectives and one or more of those objectives is in enemy territory, two glory. Yeah, two glory for a surge always draws attention. And I think this is probably one of the most interesting and powerful cards in this warband. 
I do like how they prefaced it by you have to wait until an opponent's activation, which again allows them to react to the fact that you're only holding two objectives or more, but at least two, and one or more of them is in enemy territory. So not no one's here, but ultimately, I think with the improvements this warband has seen to their movement shenanigans and their ability, honestly, fight and be aggressive, I do think that they're going to be able to score this quite reliably. I think this is a pretty solid car, Zach. Yeah, I, I think this is great. I would have probably would have taken this at one glory, honestly. And that's how you can, I think that's how you get, like, every time we talk about two glory surges, it's like, ooh, it's two glory, so it's spicy, but it's not very good. And then sometimes you're like, oh, this is two glory, but it would have been overpowered at one, or at least like balanced at one. And now we've got two, and that's, that's really good. I do agree that there's like, unlike Land of the Dead, which you can absolutely just score in your territory and is much harder to stop, um, the fact this is opponent's activation you're usually just going to have one fighter in enemy territory on an objective unless you're like really winning the positional game. So there's a much better chance your opponent stops this with an action. But you're right, there's so many movement shenanigans. There's so many pushes and extra move buffs and as we'll see, even teleports to just be like threaten random objectives in your opponent's territory that I think you're going to score this more often than not. I think it's going to be really hard for your opponent to stop it. Completely agree. Fantastic card. It reminds me a lot of Swift Capture, actually, now that I think about it more and more. Yeah, I was going to say, it's this is effectively Swift Capture, but slightly harder for a much better payout. I like it. But that brings us to the end of the objectives. There's a lot of good cards in here. Amon, if you had to pick one, what would it be? They keep coming. It is, it is a very good one. It's effortless. I mean, the, on, the only way you don't score it is if your opponent only kills one model repeatedly, right? And if they're doing that, you're probably just winning the game. Factually. Yeah. What about you, Zach? I really like Land of the Dead. I mean, we just talked about how Undying Watchmen is two, but I think Land of the Dead is so reliable, and it's one that you can just kind of guarantee regardless that I'm I'm a big fan of that one. I like that. I like that. So overall, I think pretty, pretty decent objective deck, right? Like Sepulchral Guard always struggled in the fact that they didn't have reliable surges and they relied more on their end phase but now we see a warband that can still tap into that powerful end phase scoring but also now has some surges to support that i think that's pretty sick yeah i think it's i think it's quite a good objective deck i don't think there's anything that i'm looking at it's like oh that's busted it's so insane like the the res ones obviously like you said are effortless but they do still kind of glory negate because you have to have like guys die and stuff and you know it, it requires effort there's nothing in here that i'm like man this card needs to be restricted right off the bat so to me it feels fun and flavorful and powerful yet balanced and i think that is exactly the type of deck that you want to strike when designing decks so i, I love this deck i think i completely agree with you i think this is this is awesome and i'm very excited to play a warband that i didn't really enjoy much in the earlier seasons but I think I'm going to start having fun with them now. But we can't get too ahead of ourselves here because we still have two-thirds of the faction deck to go through. And so now we have the Gambits. And we're going to start with an oldie, Bone Shrapnel Reaction. Play this during an enemy fighter's attack action that took an adjacent friendly fighter out of action. After the out-of-action check, deal one damage to that enemy. Funnily enough, this actually got nerfed because the old version of this didn't have to be adjacent. 
So you can like, you could have just pinged somebody who killed you with a three range three attack action. It wasn't even that good in the old version, just because like reactions on death for dealing damage is like kind of fine if and not terribly exciting. There's better pings out there. If you want to go ping heavy, it's okay, but you don't often take these types of cards. So I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. I'm right there with you, man. Probably still going to pass on this one, though. I like the idea of it. And honestly, I know a lot of people who really enjoy this kind of stuff, so they could yeah. still keep doing it. Here's another card that sounds familiar. Ceaseless Attacks Reaction. Play this after an activation step in which a friendly fighter made one or more attack actions. Choose another friendly fighter. The chosen fighter makes one attack action. It, fantastic. Ceaseless Attacks is one of the cornerstone cards of Sepulchral Guard play. Setting up, you know, surround an opponent with the warden on the back line, make an attack with somebody, then make an attack with warden over their head, or just like buddy up and get like a harvester and then a champion attack. Like there's so many ways you can you can utilize this card. And not only that, it doesn't have to be the same target. So you could just like attack on multiple sides of the board. Like it is it's just a good card. And the fact that it's unchanged makes sense because it was one of their better cards and it functioned exactly as you wanted it to. Ten out of ten card. Yeah, I completely agree. Though I do think there is a slight change to the card, if I'm not mistaken, and the fact that you can only use this after an activation step rather than any attack action. That's true. I'm, I guess in my mind, there's not that many out-of-sequence attacks at the moment, um, but you're right. It is technically nerfed in that regard. Yeah, just making sure we cover that for posterity's sake, but mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. Effectively, the same card and, of course, a card that is lovely. And I love the new artwork featuring newer warbands. Yeah. It's great. Poor Manok. Not having a good time. Now we're going to jump to Inexhaustible Warriors. Plus one move to friendly fighters. This effect persists until the end of the round. Great. Excellent. Wonderful. No notes. Every time this card is printed, it's good and generally taken. I mean, I'm just thinking of the, again, the one for Exiled Dead. Which, is that one a spell? I don't know. There's a, there's a, you should know this, Zach. You're the, I should exile dead guy. Well, there, there's a plus one move spell. And then I use both that and the exile dead one in champion, whatever it's, these are good cards and you're a faction that makes seven moves per turn sometimes. So it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. You can definitely tell that someone was watching the current or the previous dire chasm meta because eternal chase was a card that you didn't not take when playing the Sepulchral Guard. Anytime you took that Warband, you took Eternal Chase. Now, Eternal Chase was plus two move. Obviously, maybe was a bit too strong in some instances, but plus one move is great. This is an auto-include. Mm-hmm. It also stacks really well with Conqueror's Circlet. Yeah, I think if you're going Delvers, which Delvers is fantastic with this Warband, I think. Man, Conqueror's Circlet is maybe just the first card you go for. For sure. And we'll talk about which Rivals decks we think are good with this Warband, but Completely agree with you, Zach. Great card. Let's move on to no end to our duty. Choose a friendly fighter with one or more move tokens. The chosen fighter makes one move action. I really like this card. It's it's kind of subtle because it's like there's actually quite a bit of restriction. Like, you know, you can't activation one, charge with the champion, make an attack, and then no end to our duty to reposition him. It can't be off charge. It can't be a fighter that hasn't moved, so you kind of have to plan around it. Like, if you are holding an objective, get tapped by a damage one attack, get pushed back, you can't know enter our duty to get back onto it. 
So you ca- you have to think about it, but it is an out of sequence move, and out of sequence moves are really really strong. So it requires a little bit more play or a little bit more forethought than some previous power step moves. But I think it's good. I think it's really really nice. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you're right. The limitations are fascinating. Can't use it with a charge fighter. Can't use a fighter who's not moved yet. And it's a bit of redundant with the fact that you can already move and this warband has a lot of ways to activate a move through the warden what i do think this could be interesting for is maybe you misplaced on your objectives or maybe some objectives got shuffled around by you or your opponent what you could do is use the warden's ability and then maybe if your petitioner is just maybe one or two hexes short then no end to our duty ensures that you can get there and gives you a little bit wider range in terms of maybe your hold objective strategy but I'm not necessarily too high on it either. I think I could easily see myself cutting this card. Yeah, I think the I think the restrictions make it a very cuttable card. But I'm just thinking like you res a fighter. It's now inspired. It's like not even counting things like um, inexhaustible warriors or conqueror circlet or any other plus move cards. Like you res a fighter, you warden move, and then immediately in the power step you play no enter duty. That fighter just made a six hex move with a skeleton. That's pretty, I mean, it costs power card, but like, that's pretty good, I think. So I don't know. I, I think there's going to be instances in which you're going to just be like, wow, this allowed me to position in, you know, really aggressive or really fantastical ways. And sometimes you'll be like, eh, I just never got to use it this whole game. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's jump to pitiless command. Choose a friendly fighter with one or more race counters. Push the chosen fighter up to two hexes. I like this card. I like this card a lot. They're really kind of pushing the fighters with race counters a more interesting angle. There wasn't a whole lot. I mean, in the previous version of this warband, you know, inspiration made you better, but you didn't really get much else out of it. Now there's gonna we're gonna see a number of cards like this where it's fighter with race counter does something cool, and this is a really good one. Sidestep two with a fighter that is back and with a better stat is like that's that's good. That's going to set up really good uh, scything attacks with the Harvester. That's going to set up deep dives with the with the champion going for a really powerful cut. Maybe that's just saving you a really uh, important objective in enemy territory or no man's land. I think this is a great card. I think this card is, as you say, great. It's fantastic. A bit hard to use, I think, in the round one. But the moment that a fighter gets a raise counter... Two hex push is incredible, especially for a hold objective warband. Next card here is Restless Dead. This is a familiar face that we all know and love, though it's got a slight change to it. Choose a friendly fighter other than the Sepulchral Warden that is out of action. Place the chosen fighter on an empty hex in your territory. Then give that fighter one raise counter and one charge token. Yeah, it's it's worse. It's nerfed from its previous incarnation. The charge token is, well, it does have synergy with the new March of the Dead. And honestly, like if you're burning this as like, you're less incentivized to like, it's turn two, I've got a fighter out of action. I just redrew a hand at the end of turn one. My first power step, I'm just playing Restless Dead. Like it kind of disincentivizes that and occasionally makes you think of Restless Dead as more of a late turn power card. You know, it's like, activation three then you're just going to res a fighter with a charge token in an interesting position and move them with your warden or 
set up a charge block or XYZ, whatever you do with your res, because as we all know, there's so many things you can do with reses. I think it's still absolutely an auto include because it makes your game plan function like you have to bring this card, but it is, it's less of a play every time it's in your hand and now you're going to think about using it, which I think is good. I mean, that's a good change to the card, even if it does nerf it a bit. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the nerfs that this warband, and I put air quotes with nerfs, is just bringing them in line with current effects and, and abilities. Look, at the end of the day, this card did also change in a positive way because now you can't, you can use it without the warden being alive, which is pretty cool. Remind me, Zach, if that was the case in the previous card, since you have it in your hand. No, the previous one didn't require your leader to be alive. Okay, fair enough. Maybe I'm yeah. thinking of partial resurrection then. Yeah, there were the exiled dead res requires your leader to be alive. There, I think there's a number of pseudo res cards or res cards in the game that require your leader to be alive. Leader to be alive. Yeah. yeah. Partial resurrection doesn't need one either. Okay. Well, we can ignore that part. But <laughs> ultimately, I think it's fine. I mean, back in the day, what you could do is you could charge with the champion. You could miss ceaseless attacks, try again, and then get killed, bring him back up, charge again. Now you can't do that. And I think that's fair. And I think that's valid. Yeah, I, I like I said, I think it's a more fair card, even if it is nerfed. And I think it's still, like I said, still an auto-include. For sure. Thinking about it more and more, the combination sequence I just explained, you can do that with partial resurrection, though, still. So, yeah. Championship is pretty good. Partial resurrection, woo! Next one is Startling Reformation Reaction. Play this after you give a friendly fighter a raise counter. Place that fighter in an empty starting hex in enemy territory. Then give that fighter one charge token. This is such an interesting card. On one hand, I'm like, it's so niche. I don't know if I'm going to include it in my deck. But also, just the ability to be like, yo, sup, I res and I'm now in your backfield. Because what a lot of people will do is, if you're playing an aggro deck and you know your opponent is playing objectives, you will just take your one of your objectives and put it as far back in your territory as possible or like mid to back territory to like zone out potential objective placements and stuff. But there will usually be one far away from where the combat is happening. And if they do that, you can go, okay, Starling Reformation, this guy is now in your territory way back. You're not going to be able to go back and get them. This objective is mine and it's the one that you thought was safest. That sort of thing I think can be game breaking. Or not game-breaking, but like game-winning. I mean, and it's game-breaking for your opponent. Yeah, it's back-breaking, absolutely. So it's, yeah, I, I think this is a really good card, though sometimes it's just not going to come up. And I think that's okay, because the effect when it does happen is strong enough. Yeah, you mentioned earlier you liked March of the Dead because of lengthening shadows, and I think this card can certainly help you do that. Mm -hmm. For me, I think it's really funny. You can just Restless Dead and then immediately react to your Restless Dead with starting Reformation throw that petitioner or whomever way across the board. Maybe it can help you get that third objective. Maybe it can help you score Undying Watchmen. I mean, there's so many cool things that you can do with this card. Lots of synergy. I think the card is very cute, but I think it gets less cute in the more nuanced, I guess, versions of this game formats. So do I think you're going to take this in championship? I don't know. Maybe not. Nemesis, I think there's a but I think maybe if you've got a particularly cheeky strategy, as we mentioned earlier, March of the Dead, Lengthening Shadows, etc., then yeah, why not? Yeah, I, I think it really depends on your deck, too, because there's like fun things you can do with Fearsome Fortress. Like if you've put Walking Wall 
on, let's say, the prince, and your opponent kills the prince, and then you just like Starling Reformation res it on that enemy side of no man's land, even though that's not like a huge teleport because it's just right there in the middle, it can be very, very impressive in its use of like utility. So like there's there's interesting things to be done with this card. I think I think you're right that championship there's like the effect of power cards when you have the whole universal pool available to you is probably doesn't quite touch it, but I think for the more limited formats it's going to be a really good card. 100%. Next up we've got a card that is named the same but slightly updated in the way that it works, Terrifying Screams. Choose an enemy fighter with two hexes. Sorry, choose an enemy fighter within two hexes of one or more friendly fighters. Push the chosen fighter one hex. Ah, farewell distraction cards. The more factions we see updated, the more we'll see true distraction go away, which is good because distraction effects are often the best in the game. Uh, Terrifying Screams was an auto-include because push an enemy is crazy good. Now it is still probably an auto-include because yes, you have to be within two hexes, but with seven models, you cover most of the board. Within two hexes, when you have seven models, is like 60% of the board, or like 70% of the board. It's, it's a lot, or can be, depending on how spread out or clustered you are. And that's just like, I don't really think there's a downside to this. Like, yeah, you can no longer push somebody off an objective on their back edge of the board when you haven't reached them, but like, that's not as impactful as it used to be for a variety of reasons. So I think this is still an insanely good card and you'll probably take in every single deck. Oh, for sure. Like just because it's not a distraction anymore, doesn't mean it's a terrible card. As you say, I know that people are probably going to see this and complain and be like, oh no, it took away my distraction. But like distraction is broken. Distraction is without a doubt, pound for pound, the best gambit you can put in your deck, no matter what warband you're playing. And so I'm very glad that the designers and the playtesters saw this and ensured that this changed because that card is oppressive, man. It's it's too strong, and now it's more of a hypnotic buzz, which is still a very strong card. And hypnotic buzz made most of my decks, honestly, during that era. Every single deck of mine involved hypnotic buzz, so completely agree with you. When it was eligible, I played it, because a distraction, while limited, is still a fantastic card, and I still think this is probably quite arguably the best card in this Gambit deck, just because positioning and changing the placement of your enemies' fighters is extremely powerful, so it makes sense why they changed it. Still a very good card. And we're going to move on to the next card here. And actually, that sequence that I described earlier that I said ceaseless attacks, I meant to say the Necromancer commands, because that's the re-attack with the same fighter. Yeah, I think people knew what you were talking about, though. Yeah, I saw that you knew that I was talking about the moment I finished the sentence. I was like, crap, I think I said the wrong thing here. <laughs> but anyways, the Necromancer commands reaction. Play this during a friendly fighter's attack action after the defense roll if the attack action would fail, and if that friendly fighter is not a Sepulchral Warden, the combat sequence ends and the attacker makes an attack action that must target the same enemy fighter restricted to your leader, meaning the Warden must be alive for you to utilize this card. Uh, again, it's a slight nerf compared to the original, uh, which didn't have the restriction that your leader had to be alive and you could be used to pre-make your leader's attack. That doesn't really bother me. I mean... The way this warband plays, you're trying to keep your leader safe and you're attacking with the, your three named not leader models. So it's like most of the time, this is functionally the same. There will be edge cases where it's worth. You still put it in deck, like remaking attacks is still so good that even if 
your leader dies, well, then you can just salvage it because that's the thing you could do nowadays. Yeah, it's an auto-include. Yeah, great card. You're right that it's nerfed a little bit, specifically in the fact that the warden can use it, which is fine, honestly, because now with the changes to the way that the warden is now more of a action economy piece, more and more leaning into the movement, what you're going to see is you're going to see the warden probably use this less, and that's fine. Now the petitioner can step up and use it. And I do like how they changed the step to after the defense roll, which is pretty neat because it also allows you to chain ceaseless attacks as well. Yeah, they, they've they really cleaned up the timing windows on a lot of these reaction cards, and I like that. Yep, they have indeed. Last but not least is Worthless Chaff. Friendly petitioners have no bounty. This effect persists until the end of the round or until a friendly petitioner is taken out of action. Love this card. This is so... I'm going to talk about another old team that I love, which is uh, Spike Claw's Swarm. This is expendable on a power card, but better because you don't have to put it on a specific model and you don't have to spend a glory, but worse because it only happens once, whatever. Expendable is busted. It's probably the best card in that deck or like top, top two cards in that deck. For you to be able to have this on round one is so good because a lot of times what you'll do with Sepulchral Garden without going a little bit too deep dive into theory You'll like deploy your three wounders on the line because if your opponent doesn't have any three damage attacks, they're going to be able to take the punch and then counter punch and you want to keep your petitioners back because they die a lot easier, et cetera, et cetera. You can put a friendly petitioner forward if this is in your hand because if you like go first, move a petitioner onto the midline, onto an objective on midboard, you know, do something with your petitioner that is a little bit more risky and then power step one, play worthless chaff. Like, okay, cool. I have this petitioner in the middle board. It's on an objective. It's not worth any bounty. What are you going to do? Make an attack that doesn't give you anything? Like, that's huge. That's potentially a really big swing. And yeah, I think this is a great card. I'm a big fan of this card as well. So I think most guard players know that you never put the petitioners up in the front. It's a mistake. You keep them in the back. You let your bigger fighters die. And then you kind of use them with their inspired stats to fight. I think this can potentially make you be a little bit more aggressive with your petitioners. Maybe be a little bit more aggressive with the multi-move through your warden and through the upgrade that we're going to talk about soon. I'm not saying that you're probably going to place them in front of any of your other fighters, but I like that you can just be a little bit more aggressive. It gives you a little bit more options if you're taking this card. And it functions very similarly to the way the dogs work in Hexbanes, right? Like, yeah, I think most people have figured out now that you should just kill the dogs anyways because it's one of their best ways to get support. But I think now this enables you to do so many different things. You are now able to inspire them easier because you're not giving up bounty. I mean, you can, I think, maybe even lower the efficacy of your opponent's kill cards, their surge cards, right? Because surges are balanced with with the fact that you're going to get two glory effectively, a bounty and a glory to get the kill, but now you're turning that off, you're slowing them down, you're denying their glory train a little bit. I really like it, honestly. I'm I'm a big fan, and I think it just disincentivizes your opponent from attacking the petitioners, and at worst case scenario, yeah, you probably want to break the effect as quickly as possible, but hey man, a, an attack action that gives your opponent virtually, or potentially rather, zero glory is, is pretty exciting to me, especially with a warband that bleeds glory. Yeah, and I really like what you said about reducing the efficacy of surge kill kill surges because you're still getting the surge glory for the kill. But a lot of times what happens is like, 
oh, I've got two upgrades in my hand. If I kill something and I score this card, that's going to be two glory for the kill and the objective. And then I'm going to be able to put up two upgrades. If you slow that snowball down, even though it seems like, oh, they're still getting a glory, they're still getting one upgrade. Like if you slow that snowball down, it's noticeable, it's perceptible, and it'll really mess with your opponent's a game plan. And I also just like the fact that this persists because you know it's going to feel really bad. You put out a petitioner, your opponent swings, and then they miss, and then they swing again next turn, and they do get the kill, but there's still no bounty. Like, this is, that is half their turn killing something that doesn't even give them anything. I I just love this card. I think it's so good. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And honestly, like, your petitioners are generally the ones that are holding objectives, right? Mm-hmm. So... Even if your opponent says, you know what, I don't care if I don't get a bounty, I'm going to try to kill them. Well, A, again, reducing that net glory gain, but then also revive, right? Restless dead, boom, the guy's back on. Maybe you can make a move action with the no end to our duty. It's There's so many things you can do here. It's just a lot of fun. And I really like the fact that this allows your petitioners, who are now named, <laughs> to have a little bit more endurance. Yeah. Well, Zach... You can probably guess my favorite. It's Worthless Chaff. But what's yours? I'm going to go back to Startling Reformation, the one where you place in an enemy territory when you get a, a raise counter. But yeah, absolutely. I, I I also try to pick one that wasn't a reprint because like obviously Ceaseless Attacks is still just really bonkers good. But I really like a lot of these new cards. In fact, I don't really think there's like a stinker in this gambit deck like yeah there's some that you're going to replace as you move up in deck building complexity but like none of these you know none of these you're going to draw and be like oh man this piece of crap card right like that's just not going to happen yeah i also picked one that was not a reprint purposefully Mm -hmm. but i also do really love i honestly adore the whole petitioner synergy that we're going to see in this warband as a whole but yeah if there was a stinker honestly it would be bone shrapnel but i like that it's included and it's back for thematicism yeah and I mean, as far as ping cards go, it's not the worst ping card in the game. It's just not the best. And there's just better. Like, I mean, if we didn't, if we weren't living in a world where each rival's deck had like one or two really, really powerful ping cards, I could see people rating Bone Shrapnel higher. It's just that we're kind of living in a ping world right now. Well, yeah, it allows you to stack even more. And, you know, if you really want another ping in addition to all the other good pings out there. Yeah. But also, like, it's pretty decent when compared to the warbands it's coming out with. Headsman's Curse and Farstriders, they all have range one attacks. Obviously, the Farstriders have the range three. But, you know, they're doing most of their damage when they're up close and personal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, good gambits all around. Pretty happy with, honestly, the entire faction as a whole. But now, Zach, take it away with the upgrades. All right. We're starting out with a brand new one. No reprint here. This is called A Familiar Face. The bounty for this fighter is Spent Glory, restricted to Petitioner. Yeah, first of all, love the name of the card. Fantastic. Not only because they're all skulls, so they all look the same, but also I'm back. I have mixed feelings about this card. I do like the idea of the card, given the fact that it's part of this, as I've dubbed, the Petitioner pack. But I think glory is glory at the end of the day, right? And whether it's spent or unspent, I'm very happy to take it from you because it means I'll win the game. So I think that's one thing to think about. Ultimately, the question you have to ask yourself is, is this going to disincentivize your opponent from attacking your fighter? And I think the answer is yes or no. I think the answer is yes in the early game. I think the answer is no 
when they kind of understand what you're trying to do and what you're trying to score, and they will understand that glory is glory, and denying you glory is probably more important than getting unspent glory. But yeah, I still like it, but not as good as I want it to be. Because I think the card you want is expendable. Yes. Yeah, kind of. But, but I'm also glad that they didn't make a SG expendable. Yeah, that, that would be crazy. I actually really like this card. Well, okay. I agree that in the later game, it loses some value because your opponent's just trying to go for VP and your opponent is just trying to clear you to like score objectives and stuff. Reasonable. Early on, it shuts down the snowball a lot. I think if you can equip this to a petitioner in round one, your opponent's just going to be very disincentivized from fighting that petitioner, just a lot like worthless chaff. Like, if you have worthless chaff and a familiar face in your opening hand and a way to get a familiar face on early, like, man, your opponent's just not going to have many good targets to fight. And I think that's really, really good. Notably, I mean, we're going to keep bringing this up because, you know, formats are a very important part of the current metagame discussion. Again, I think this, it loses value a lot in championship. It's much more powerful in limited formats because we have seen nemesis games even tournament level nemesis games we've seen be won or lost by like two glory and when your glory and not even like the differential but just be like a nine glory win in a tournament it is like a nine to seven game and when the when the glory count is that low unspent versus spent starts to matter when you're in championship and it's like I finished the game at 22 glory and I literally couldn't spend it all. Like obviously spent versus unspent doesn't mean anything, but in rivals and nemesis where you're like, man, you know, if only I had one more glory to get this object or this upgrade on, if only I had one more glory to like set up my, you know, two card combo or something like that. I think it's going to be more impactful there, but I agree as the game goes on in higher levels, you'll probably drop this card in championship, but it is, it is cool and interesting, and I like that I've had a lot to talk about with it. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of thought that can go into the card, certainly. And so, again, I, I do like it as well, like you, Zach. I just, the competitive player in me is like, ah. Yeah, that's fair. Next, we've got a uh, one that Aman has been talking about, and a familiar one for anybody who knows a warband. Ancient Commander action. Choose up to three friendly fighters. The, ch the chosen fighters each make one move action restricted to your leader. Yeah, I mean, great card. I've been talking about this one a lot, as you mentioned. I think the Warden is now more of a action economy movement, I guess, figurehead now more than ever. And this was a card that people would take if they really liked it, but I oftentimes saw it being cut. But I now think it's pretty much an auto-include because of how much flexibility this card gives you. Again... You're able to proactively move fighters onto objectives, seven fighter warband, but effectively, especially if you get this early, you can move all seven fighters in one round, which is incredible if you think about it, right? Actually, no, you'd move six because this is an action. But what I do really like about this is you can maybe move two petitioners and then maybe move a fighter out of retaliation range back either onto an objective or into a safe space. For example, you charge in with the champion, champion either killed or failed or whatever, and then you can just eat the champion back a little bit to force your opponent to make a move or a charge versus just a free attack. So I really like it. I think it's great. I'm going to take it. Yeah, I think it's important to note the ways in which this has been buffed as to why we, because I also rate it very highly. So 
as well, it's we buffed in the same way as the leader. Actually, there's something else to note about this, and I'll get to that in a second. In the same, you're right. In the same way that's a leader uh, allows you to make multiple move actions, which was really important. One of the reasons people didn't take the old one is that later in the game, once you started to lose more models, if you move three models, you kind of ran out of things to do because they, now they have move tokens, and it's like, well, if I've only got five models on the board, I move three. I can't use this on my leader, and then I just have one guy left to do things with. Like it's kind of like inefficient actions now. Now you could just keep doing it. It's very action efficient. The other thing to note, and I don't know if this is intended or not, but read this action again. Choose up to three friendly fighters. Unlike the old version of this card, and unlike the Warden's card, this can be used to choose the Warden himself. And that is a nice buff that is a lot of extra added utility because a lot of times what happens with this Warband is you keep making the Warden's action and he just stands there. Now you slap on Ancient Commander, and he's moving around while also repositioning the rest of the warband, and that is going to have a huge impact on the game. So I think this is, not only is it better for the move reason, like the the move token uh, reasons, but it's also better just for like utility in general. I think it's a great card now. Yeah, that's a great catch, Zach, and one that I didn't notice. So yeah, it's 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 very good, much better. Makes me like it even more. Also, is like a get-out-of-jail-free card if you're trying to go for skills unforgotten and you fail. Well, you can get yourself back, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of cool things you could do with it. Now we'll go to another one that is pretty familiar. I think it's the same. Deathly Charge. Plus one damage to this fighter's range one and two actions while they have one or more charge tokens restricted to the champion. Uh, and I'm just looking at the card right now. It is exactly the same. Yeah, so obviously when we look at plus one strength cards, Effectively, pseudo-great strengths. It's very hard to compare them to the OG itself. So yeah, it's worse, right? But it's still fairly decent. I mean, your champion is one that will inspire to three smash, making him three smash, three damage is quite potent, especially because you're going to favor your champion's accuracy for taking out enemy opponents. So I don't mind it. I do wish they had maybe added another fighter or two to the restriction, but I get why they didn't. It's a starter set. They want players to understand the mechanic and then also utilize salvage, you know, when if and when you don't feel like using it or he's not on the board and salvage is actually eligible. Actually, the salvage conversation is really interesting because you can salvage when the fighter is not on the board, but then when you resurrect him, you know, it's, it's uh, anyways. Yeah, it, it's actually something we talked about when salvage was first introduced, either on here or in one of the discords, but like res warbands have like kind of an extra little bit of utility with salvage because it's like oh this, i don't really want this upgrade or this gambit so i'm just gonna wait till the guy is dead then salvage it and then res the fighter etc yeah there's additional bit of nuance there which i do enjoy but yeah i mean overall like especially in limited formats like nemesis i mean your champion's your beat stick so giving yeah. him a plus one damage card with the benefit of him being killed and coming back very reliably is pretty pretty good it actually makes these cards that are fighter restricted just better overall because the fighters can come back. Yeah, and just you know keep harping on the same point, but this I think this card also got buffed with the change to the warden's move action, and that you can choose a fighter with charge tokens now, because a lot of times in the original uh, in the old version, what you would do is you would charge with the champion, and then he would just be done. Now you can charge with the champion, whether he kills or doesn't kill or hits or misses, whatever it doesn't really matter. You charge in, you do the damage, 
And then in the next activation, you can have the warden move the champion. So even though the function of this card hasn't changed, it's still plus one damage either way, which is already good. Now it's not as much of a downside to make that charge action in the first place, which makes it a more flexible, powerful card. Well said. Completely agree. Now we have another familiar card, uh, completely unchanged because there's not much text on it. Frightening Speed plus two move. I believe uh, it's no longer fighter restricted though, right? Yes, that that is the change is that it used to just be Harvester, Champion, Prince. Now it's anybody. I love it. I keep thinking about Conqueror's Circlet when I look at this warband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this oh, is man. pretty incredible. So four move is still great. Five move is even better. Six move potentially as well. So really nice card. Super awesome. Wait, so if you put this on your Warden and then put on Conqueror's Circlet, your whole warband is move five. That is correct. That's okay. Yeah, this is so good. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you're going to want to commit to that, right? It's two upgrades that you're going to have to have at the same time. Sure. But I certainly think it's something that you should experiment with, and it's very exciting. But I don't even think it's like necessarily a combo, because like you don't have to draw them together. And if you put on Conqueror Circlet and then put Frightening Speed on, like if you draw this early, you don't know if you're going to get Circlet, you just put this on the champion and then later draw the Circlet. It's like, oh no, my team has moved three and four and the champion has moved five. What a nightmare. Like, it's still really good. Fair. Yeah. Next, we have Legacy of Dust. This is restricted to the Warden and the Prince, plus one damage to range one attack actions made by friendly petitioners within two hexes of this fighter. If this fighter is within two hexes of a friendly petitioner, this fighter is supporting that petitioner. I really like this card, Zach. I have mentioned I like the petitioner package quite a bit. I'm a big fan of the fact that this is making the Prince more useful and Plus one damage to most petitioner attacks isn't really bad because they become, yeah, so three fury, two damaged, or two smash, two damage when uninspired. I think that's pretty solid. I'm not mad about it. I yeah. like it. I mean, this it's a very limited version of, God, what's the, the Exile Dead have a version of this card, uh, the one that you, it's for, it's for Dentalos and Markov only, and it makes, it makes the zombies uh, plus one damage if they're within two hexes. Dynamic Enhancer. And Dynamic Enhancer is a great card, and this is a great card. Uh, plus, it gets the supporting bonus. The The card itself is great. I want to note that this is, it's kind of a spiritual successor to Assumed Command, but kind of in an opposite direction. Assumed Command was the Prince's card, uh, Prince's restricted card in the last set. And it, what, it like made other fighters better supporters when they were supporting the Prince. So it's kind of inverted now. He's gone from being like, on the front lines and petitioners are better at supporting him to he's better at supporting the petitioners and making them better damage dealers. And I think that's kind of cool that, like you said, this really is a petitioner package because even though the prince has gotten buffed, now you have this whole package of cards that make the prince better at making your petitioners better. And I think that's really cool. I think there's a lot of cool synergies to be had with this card. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's defensive buff to your petitioners, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Solid uh, that, card. That supporting from a range is actually very underutilized. <laughs> Next Pretty we go sure to, Amos does that, right? For Amos does it when inspired and only for Hexbane, I believe. Or no, he does it for everybody, but it's only when he's inspired. I think Jedrin does as well, but you never inspire Jedrin. Poor guy. Yeah, it we have seen like support at a range before. It's just like it's pretty rare and sometimes quite hard to pull off. And this is just seems much more reasonable to use. Next we have no vitals. Minus one damage from attack actions that target this fighter to a minimum of one. 
other than attack actions with cleave and or knockback. Yeah, this is a great, great card. And I think it's fair as well. Most likely, you're probably going to put this on one of your big beat sticks, which is the champion or the harvester or your leader to make sure he doesn't die. And yes, it is susceptible to cleave and or knockback, but that's fine. Those aren't as ubiquitous as you would think. And it does create this interesting game where you might start worrying about fighters that generally you don't usually worry about, or your opponent might invest in fighters that generally don't usually invest in. And so I think it's going to create fresh games. It's going to always be taken into your deck. This is another auto-include in my opinion. I really like it. Yeah, I think the downside to this is kind of interesting because what we've seen in existing cards or existing fighters, baseline attacks, like you'll either have three damage or you so it'll be like if you have two relatively equivalent attacks like two relatively equivalent fighters one will have cleave and the other one will have not cleave but plus one damage so like uh, if you think of storm sire's curse breakers uh, amos has a three damage attack rastus has a two damage cleave attack so a lot of the time this downside is not really a downside because they'll be like "Ooh, am i gonna hit you with my three damage attack or am i gonna hit you with my two damage cleave attack and it's like well you're doing two damage to me anyway there's no change there unless you start putting out great strength and stuff like that or like if you have upgrades that give you knockback or cleave which are pretty rare and people don't take anyway so i i agree that i mean minus damage is always an auto take i think this is going to most of the time just be really 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 good then we're going down to petitioner's oath more petitioner package cards this is restricted to a petitioner reaction use this after an activation step in which this fighter was taken out of action you can do you can make this reaction even though this fighter is out of action. Place this fighter on an empty starting hex in your territory, then give this fighter one raise counter, then break this card. Yeah, I don't mind this card. I think this is probably one of the weaker petitioner cards we're going to see in the package itself, especially because there's a lot of great upgrades in this warband. The thing is is you're going to lose a petitioner, right? In theory, your opponent knows that you have this card on there. It's probably not going to disincentivize them from taking a key petitioner out if they need to. They're going to get a glory. This costs you a glory to put on your fighter. Then you get to place your fighter on an empty starting hex in your territory. Now, there is uh, objective or feature token manipulation, right? So it's certainly something that you can finagle, but ultimately, I don't know. I mean, I guess it helps with the Inspire as well. Gives them a race counter, but I'm not very high on this one, unfortunately, Zach. Oh, interesting. I'm of the opposite opinion. I really like this card, and I think the reason I really like this card is that, again, going to keep making this comparison, Exiled Dead have a card called Powered Command, which is uh, you have it on your leader, and then when a zombie dies, you break uh, Powered Command, and they just automatically get resurrected. And I've had so many games where that's come in clutch, because it's like, yes, Dentalos immediately resurrects when he you know, makes him a dance action. Yes, you have, card, you have a Gambit card that lets you resurrect. But having that upgrade is basically just like, oh, you know, you really want to attack that zombie? It's just going to come back. Like, the fact that it's immediate and doesn't require you to make the action means that it just gives you better action economy, right? Like, this is preventing you from having to use an action on your leader. This is preventing you from having to use Restless Dead. And is better than Restless Dead because you don't come back with a charge token. So, like... You can put this on a petitioner. Maybe you're playing championship and this petitioner has the cursed card we don't talk about, aka cursed boarding pike. They come in, they kill the petitioner. That petitioner just immediately stands back up and swings at them with cursed boarding pike because, hey, I don't come back with a charge token. No big deal. 
I think it's really good. I think that it gives you a lot of action economy. I think it disincentivizes in combination with other cards or in combination with specific positioning, disincentivizes your opponent from killing specific models. And I think that's really good. Yeah, I think that's a really fair way to look at it. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to give one a second go. I don't know if I'm as high on it as you, but I do. Let's see. I'll think about it more for sure. Sure. And that's, that's what you did is you made me second guess myself. So job well done, Zachary. Well, it's okay to disagree still. I just, I like these types of cards. Yeah, I'm just trying to think about it more and more. I just think it's better for Exile Dead as a whole because of what the minions are doing in the Exile Dead package. Yeah, well, the Power Command is also really nice because it reses immediately next to the person who killed them. So it'd be like, you kill Coil, Coil reses next to you, and then next turn, Dentalos dance, and Coil immediately punches you in the face. Whereas this, like, you res, then maybe you have to make a charge action or, like, set something up. So it's not as good, potentially. But I do think the effect is is very similar. Yeah. I feel like this is more like a Bonds of Death. Okay, sure. I could see that. Okay. Well, we, we could we could think about that. And I think it'll, I think as we play with it, we'll get different opinions on it as well. Uh, another petitioner card is Spark of Independence. This is restricted to petitioner. Plus one wounds, plus one dice to this fighter's attack actions. This fighter cannot be driven back. After this fighter is taken out of action, break this card. Yeah, I really like this card. Moving your one of your petitioners to three wounds is great. Giving them plus one dice at this fighter's attacks. Couple that with what Legacy of Dust can do. And you're doing a four fury, two damage attack, which is pretty exciting. But I actually don't even think you need Legacy of Dust to make this card work. Give them like that spear from the Essentials pack that allows you to attack while on a future token since they can't be driven back. Pretty exciting. Let's see. You could probably give them a ranged attack weapon as well, maybe, and they can just kind of chill, make attacks from there. I don't know if you're necessarily going to wake attacks with a petitioner per se, but the plus one dice of the fighter's attack action is not range limited, right? So yeah, talk, about, talk about that weapon that we love to bring up. A five dice porting pike. What a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Pretty decent, actually. I, I really like the design on this card. And yeah, you know, ultimately, if you really choose to kill that petitioner, fine you break the upgrade but you know they can always be raised again yeah it's an interesting one i mean petitioners themselves aren't super impactful like in terms of damage output they're very impactful in terms of holding objectives and stuff and going from two wounds to three wounds cannot be driven back like ignore the plus dice to it like that is already much better at objective holding which is what this warband kind of wanted kind of wants to i i definitely agree that there's cause to be like this plus one weapon turns it into a pseudo like it, it joins the ranks of the harvester the champion the war or the the prince where it's like that becomes a pseudo named character for a second uh, and then you know doesn't when it comes back but then it comes back you know inspired and it's faster or whatever yeah i think this is a great card i think it's i think it's really really solid yeah i'm a big fan we've got the warden's command Action. Give this fighter one charge token, then choose two friendly fighters that are out of action. Place each chosen fighter on a different empty starting hex in your territory, then give each chosen fighter one raise counter restricted to the warden. I actually really, really like this card. At first, I wasn't too sure, but then the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I'm, I'm a fan. So instead of spending one action, sorry, instead of spending two actions to raise two fighters, or potentially an action and a gambit, 
Now it's one action. You have two fighters up. What does that do for you? Well, if you're not inspired, you're now inspired. Those two fighters that you rezzed are now inspired because they have raise counters. And it just makes your warden more and more of this action compression piece, right? You have Ancient Commander moving three fighters. Warden's Command rezzing two fighters. I really, really like it. And it gives your fighter, your leader who's using this card, a charge token, which is fine. Because what card do you need for your fighters to have move and charge tokens? March of the Dead. I mean, the synergies are incredible. And I really, really like how this is designed. I'm a big fan of it. Is it going to be taken in the deck? Though That's the question I keep asking myself because there's a lot of great upgrades in here and they're going to all compete with one another. But I think this card can save you at least one activation over the course of the game. And I think that's pretty powerful to think about. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. As you move into the mid and late game, I think giving your leader a charge token is not that big of an issue because like you should have already positioned it in a way that you're kind of okay with. And then if you're like, if you're down two fighters, like you res two, okay, the warden gets charge token, so he's done. But like, you've just res two. Any activations you have left can just be charges with those two guys that are now back on the field that you didn't have before. Or like, I think the best case scenario is your opponent kills two, you're kind of holding off. And then this is what you do in your very last activation for a turn. Like it's turn two activation four res two fighters. And that I think is very, very, very powerful. So yeah, I agree with you. I I agree that like, it feels like the sort of card that will get cut, but I could absolutely see it not getting cut. I could absolutely see this making it in a championship deck and feeling good to do so. Agreed. I, I really like this, honestly. Well, we've got one more card to talk about, and it's a long winded doozy. Undying, plus one wounds. Unchanged, probably still an auto include. Changes, not necessary. It's a solid card. I mean, yeah, you can make your warden large, but I think making the championship with a heart. The championship. <laughs> Making the champion or the harvester. Or even the Prince of Dust, for that matter. Four wounds is quite compelling. Combo this with Spark of Independence, and you've got a four-wound petitioner. Rolling five dice with Curse Boarding Pike. I like throwing this uh, on the Prince, and then also putting out Legacy of Dust, which is the, the petitioner buffer. So now your Prince is four wounds and making all your petitioners better around him. Like, you could do some mean stuff there. Yeah, it's pretty neat, honestly. I'm I'm really digging it. Uh, but that brings us to the end. I mean, same thoughts. Great Fortitude is good. End of thought. That does bring us to the end of Objective. Uh, Aman, if you had to pick one of the admittedly great set, again, much like the power cards, little or no stinkers, which one would you say is your favorite? Mm. You could take the easy one. It's okay. I'm actually going to go with Spark of Independence. Really? Okay. I just really like the fact that they put a lot of effort into the petitioner synergy, the package, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fun. It, it just makes it interesting for me, honestly. And, and that's what I really love about this Warband design is they made, the, I mean, we all know what's great about the guard, right? And those things still exist. But what they really did is take the petitioners in a new direction. And I find that to be the most intriguing and compelling. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely perfectly good pick. And for the reasons you listed as well, I, I think the whole petitioner package, like if we're taking it holistically, is really cool. But I'm going to take the easy pick. I'm going to take Ancient Commander. I think this card was on the cusp of being very good in the past. And now with all the changes to it, Ancient Commander, I think, is potentially game defined. Like when you get it in round one, it is game defining. Your Ancient Commander games will feel very different than your non-Ancient Commander games. And I think that is so cool. 
Completely agree. Great card. And honestly, a game-defining upgrade as well. And it further emphasizes the strength of the Warden, right? The new Warden's ability is amazing. Like, you know, I I think it's I think it's going to be a really great time with this warband. Honestly, they've interested me in so many different ways. And yeah, sure, Zach, we got a couple nerfs, right? But I don't really think those are nerfs. I think those are more bringing in some of the egregious power levels and bringing them in line with the current standard of today, mm-hmm. but still making it fascinating and interesting. Yeah, I don't think there are any nerfs that is like, oh, this is makes the game feel worse. They all just it's more like design changes, right? Like terrifying screams. It's not rangeless now. Okay, but that's like the design of the game. There's no more rangeless pushes. Like all of them have a condition now. You know, the next um, Restless Dead coming back with a charge token. Like, yes, that is worse, but like basically every resurrect in the game has some sort of downside. And so, of course, this one was going to have a downside when it got reprinted. So, like, none of the nerfs really feel like, I guess the only one that really feels like a nerf is the warden not hitting on three hammers when inspired now. But like, even that, like I said before, it's like, to your point that you've been making repeatedly, he's a utility piece now. He is an action compression piece. I don't care about him hitting me on three smash. I'm not going to attack with him. I'm going to attack with everybody. Yeah. yeah. I'm really curious to see what the larger community thinks about this warband as a whole. But you and I are high on it. Mm-hmm. I think Mark was high on it as well. Very excited to see how the community reacts to the warband. Yeah. I think, I think the discussion of how to play these guys in championship is going to be a really, really interesting one um, that needs a longer discussion. I think one that we can kind of talk about briefly is if you're going to play these guys in Nemesis Amon, what deck do you think you're going to pair them with? So interesting. Mm. Well, I do like Daring Delvers a lot as a Nemesis deck. And so I generally tend to think Daring Delvers for most things. Probably Fearsome Fortress as well. Pretty solid card, especially the synergies between Stockpile and their Surge version of it, which is pretty solid. And get three glory for that. Mm. I could see some seismic shock as well. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I think I think Delvers and Seismic Shock are the ones I'm eyeing up. Like, so Seismic Shock has a lot of wizard synergy that is just dead. Fine, whatever. But like, there's a number of hold objective objectives in here. There's like there's a good weapon in here to throw on your petitioners. Quintox Static Rod is a range two to it's a spear. We all know how good spears are on models that can resurrect. Yeah, I think the Rivals deck for that we've just talked about is so strong that it's like, oh, there's not a lot of gambits in here I can use, but like, how many gambits in that Sepulchral Guard deck do you really want to replace a Nemesis? Not that many. You'd, I think you can get by with going Seismic Shock, just taking all the hold objective stuff and a couple good, you know, the few non-wizard-oriented uh, power cards and probably do just fine. Maybe it's not as good as Daring Delvers. But like, I think you you could absolutely do it and feel pretty happy about it. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right, man. Man, I just, I'm so... Hey, you know, we haven't done the episode on Void Curse Thralls yet, but I think you probably could run it in this warband. It's not necessarily the design of the team, but the fact that like, one, one of the big downsides of Void Curse Thralls is that like, if your models that are Void Curse die, it makes it harder to spread the curse and harder to kind of like do what the deck wants to do. But with a warband like this, like you can make your champion void cursed, he dies, you res him, he's still void cursed. You can 
keep spreading the plague or like even die and then nominate someone else to be void cursed at the start of the next round and then res now you have two void cursed without really doing much like you could probably make it work i haven't really toyed too much with void cursed thralls to like really really say too much about it but just because it's the new deck i think it might be worth discussing yeah i mean i think without delving too much into it void cursed is really interesting because it opens up the idea of not being driven back right and mm-hmm. so in that situation, it's really good for hold objective warbands or warbands that are kind of flexing between aggro and hold objective. So I don't think that's a bad call out at all. I think it certainly makes sense. I do think that there are some interesting nuances with Void Cursed that probably need to be elaborated on in an episode in itself. Mm. But overall, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think these guys are going to be really fun to play in Nemesis, no matter which deck you, you pick them with. I think they're going to be really fun to play in Championship. I mean, championship at the moment, like, uh, which which ones are plotless? Oh, Seismic Shock is plotless. So, like, yeah, you could just take, like, in championship, you could just take, like, all the good hold objective stuff from Seismic. You can take all the good push in enemy territory with Daring Delvers, and then just, like, all the good weapons from Herodeep Nether Maze, which there are actually a good number of weapons in Herodeep and Nether Maze. Yeah. You can cobble together, like, a really scary championship deck, I think. You certainly can, and Void Cursed... Well, actually, that has a plot card. That's but got a plot. But Toxic Terrors does not have a plot card. So no. You can, yeah, you can you can get that good old fashioned freezing venom that everyone. That's all you need. Of. Just take that in every deck. Yeah. And you know, we're in North America, and North America is fairly dominated by Nemesis, and so I think this warband is going to be very strong in Nemesis. Hmm. I think they've got a great warband package. They can pair well with a bunch of the decks that we've already mentioned. But my hot take is that I think they might force the current kings of the Nemesis meta, the Pandemonium, to change the game plan a little bit. Because what you've noticed, or at least what I've noticed, and Zach, you've been playing in them a lot, so feel free to keep me honest here in my assessment. The Pandemonium love to be a little bit more passive, like to score the way that they like to score. FLM's kind of chilling in the back, and then kind of comes in towards the mid or end of the game and makes a couple attacks. And the warband is very rarely, if ever, the beatdown. They need to be beaten in order to lose. But the Sepulchral Guard, potentially, can outpassive them, which I find to be quite enticing. And so what it might force the Pandemonium to do is may rely less on being as passive as they currently are, which in turn not only makes their matchup better against the Sepulchral Guard, but also makes playing against them much easier for all the other warbands right now who are struggling into that. If my dice don't fairly do well, I'm going to lose because I can't beat down the pandemonium. What do you think, Zach? I don't, I mean, just to the nature of Nemesis and how the deck building is done and how limited it is, I don't think you're going to see pandemonium deck change too much. However, I think you will, if Sepulchral Guard are popular, you will see less people just play them because they'll lean more into that Sepulchral Guard matchup. And I think you'll see factions that are good into Swarm Warbands, like Sepulchral Guard, I think you'll see them played more. I think the Nemesis metagame, in my opinion, is less about creating a deck-building scenario where you've like countered the metagame with the cards you've played, just because it's so limited and certain Warbands are just really locked into certain cards. I think it's really more about the factions and the decks that you're picking for you know that combination and i think sepulchral garden might change that metagame in the way that 
they're going to make they're going to push that the aggro that people are playing to play like specific aggro that is good against sepulchral guard and you know they, they kind of fill the same slot in that regard as exile dead like the same d- factions that are good aggro and exile dead are pretty good aggro into sepulchral guard and vice versa but it's also like they're different matchups so I, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to see how it changes, what it's going to push uh, people where. I agree that the Exile, de- the Sepulchral Guard, and Flim's Pandemonium matchup is a really interesting one to watch. Though I, having played Pandemonium a, a bit now, I think it's going to be okay for Ephilim just because just because there's not much damage three in this deck. And a big thing about Pandemonium is that. You have two fighters that start on three wounds, and Kindle Finger is effectively three wounds because he's two with a reduced damage by one. And Sepulchral Guard can't pop that three damage, kill a change that reliably. It's really just Deathly Charge inspired, a Deathly Charge champion and inspired Warden. Unless you've got some other upgrade, like you're running Tooth and Claw, or you get like a weapon on a petitioner or something like that. So. I think that matchup will be super interesting. I'm really, I, re- I really want to play both sides of it, honestly. Like, I really want to play both teams and see how I feel about them. So, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a cool time in the metagame, especially if you are a person who wants to play Sepulchral Guard. They're just a completely different beast now than they were a week ago, dude. One hundred percent, man. I'm so excited, dude. I man, now all they need to do is just update. Eyes of the Nine, maybe? I mean, really everything from season one and two. There's a few that have kind of remained, but not not really, you know? I I think if they keep doing, like, maybe not have to wait for another starter set, but, you know, they did, what was it, like, they used to do these two Warband boxes that were, like, the two in the previous core box when the new core box came out, like they did Rivals of Harrow Deep and Rivals of Dire Chasm or whatever. You could just do like a Rivals of Shadespire Part 1 and it's updated Reavers versus updated, what are they called? Steelhearts Champions. Like, you could do it. And I think that would be great because, you know what I really, the, the thing that I really like about this war, because going back to a little bit what I said at the beginning where there's a lot of warbands. Warbands can start to get a little derivative, not because I think the developers are like, uncreative I, I wouldn't say that i think we still get really creative and interesting warbands like just look at pandemonium right just look at storm sire's Cur- the storm coven domitain storm coven which you could compare to curse breakers but it is a very different beast but the seven model resurrect swarm death style warband which we've seen these guys we've seen thorns of the briar queen we've seen grimwatch and we've seen exiled dead it's a space that's getting a little crowded, and I think if they had released this exact deck as a new faction, we'd be like, oh my god, that makes five seven-model death warbands that have a resin multi-move mechanic. You just have to like not stop doing that. And I like that they've brought back an old one and been like, hey, this design space is getting crowded. Let's take an old warband that is in this design space and freshen it up. And you know, this niche of the metagame of this swarmy death res warband it feels fresh again even though we've not added a new warband we're just taking it back to its roots and i think that's just i could rant about game design for hours you know me i just i love this 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 makes me so happy i completely concur with your assessment and you're absolutely right it's exciting it's fun and to be honest there is 
I think depending on how well this sells on the general appetite, it might convince Games Workshop to re-embark and revisit these last, these older warbands at least, from the initial seasons. Because for a couple reasons. Number one, the miniatures have stood the test of time. Mm. Yeah, okay, the Farst Riders are a different version of Stormcast that are no longer used. But they're still valid. They're still Stormcast wearing the old armor. They exist. I think, particularly, I would love to see warbands that clearly have no shot in the current meta Mm. revamped. And this could mean a multitude of things. I mean, I mentioned Eyes of the Nine, but Eyes of the Nine versus Garrick's Reavers, how fun would that be? Oh, that is a classic chaos off. Zinch versus Korn. Korn. It's amazing. It'll be great. I could see them redoing the Worm Spat even. I could see them redoing Crushes. You know, like a a lot of the warbands that were egregious, you can fix. You could, but I'd rather see them, I mean, before jumping into season three, like Worm Spat, I would love to see them do season one and two. If nothing else, at least to give them legal rivals decks. I mean, some of my favorite ones are like Yotharis Guardians, and that's a warband I just always want to make work. And it's like, ah, oh, man, if if Yotharis Guardians or Eyes of the Nine, to your point, like, you know, you sit there and you try to put together an Eyes of the Nine deck and you're like, if this warband was just modernized a little bit, it would be so much fun. If Eyes, if Tharis Guardians were modernized just a little bit, they would be such a cool warband. You know, uh, Chosen Axes were modernized just a little bit to like a mid-board brawly. Hey, man, midboard brawling is literally the name of the game. You'd think Chosen Axes would be good, but they're just not a modern warband. And you could do that. They could do it by just doing what they did with this deck. So I hope we see more, man. I hope we see it. I do too. But I'm also very grateful with the guard and the far striders. Yes. Which we'll talk about in our next episode. Anything else, Zach, you want to add before we close out this bad boy? I think I've gushed enough. I'm just I'm just happy. I'm going to be playing these guys a lot. I think a lot of people are going to be playing this warband a lot. All right, everyone, that's it for this episode. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash pathoglory. You can find all of our blog content on pathoglorypodcast.com, now led by Mark, a.k.a. Baconborn. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or Discord at pathoglorypodcast. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen on your podcatcher of choice. And as always, thanks for listening. And we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory.